Hey, everybody, it's Chris Riley again here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach. We're joined by Craig Patrick, the assistant coach of the 1980 Olympic hockey team here on segment two. For me, growing up in New Jersey, where I am now, 1980 was the change that hockey needed in the country. And for the United States, hockey was always thought of an afterthought throughout the United States. How did you wind up getting involved with that 1980 Olympic team as the assistant coach and the assistant GM? What was that like for you? It was, um, I, I, in 79, I knew my playing career was over. I, I just, I, I started looking around for jobs and not, not just in hockey, but outside of hockey as well. Actually, I started outside of hockey, knowing full well when I was finished playing, I tried to get in coaching somewhere, but, um, at the end of the season, uh, the U.S. invited me to go to Moscow and play in the World, Ch World Championships. And uh, Herb was the coach. And I had played with Herb when I was in the Army in 70 and 71, so I knew him pretty well. And we get over there, and he asked me to be the captain. So I got to be the captain of the U.S. team. And we had guys like Joey Mullen, and we had some great great players in that team. So I didn't get very much ice time. But I think he, that's why he made me captain, because he knew I wouldn't complain. But, <laughs> but <laughs> while, while we're there, halfway through, he said, um, I've, I've, I'm, I'm going to be the Olympic coach. I said, yeah. And he said, uh, I've offered the assistant coaching job to somebody, but I don't think they're going to take it. He said, if they don't take it, would you be interested? I said, sure. So we get back stateside. And, he, and in the middle of May, this week, we're back for a couple of weeks. He gave me a call and said, okay, as I suspected, the guy didn't take it. Are you still interested? I said, sure. So he, I said, when do you need me? He said, tomorrow. And I was in, <laughs> I was in, I was in Washington, D.C., and he was in St. Paul, Minnesota. So I hopped in my car and got out there the next day. And uh, we sat down, and he, he said, here's what we've got. And the team wasn't going to be picked until July. And this is middle of May. This is, here's what we've got. We've got a bunch of guys that don't like each other. And... The only way I know how to make them a team is to get them united against me, against Herbie. And he said, Craig, your job is just to keep all the pieces together. That's all you got to do is just keep the pieces together. So I said, okay. <laughs> I played with a bunch of them already because a bunch of them were in, in uh, Moscow with me, uh, some of the guys that played on the team. So I, they knew me and I knew them. And then the general manager was worked at the Mayo Clinic, and he didn't have time to be – full-time general manager so he asked me to be the assistant to take care of the day-to-day -day stuff so that's and that that really helped me with what Herb wanted me to do because I had to take care of all the players individual stuff like so I got closer and closer to them all the time it just really worked out well for both of us what were your, you know you, you played with Herb when Herb was in the army what were your impressions of him early on he was a really good player to start with smart uh um, really good skater, uh, good with puck skills. He, he was he was a, a top player. He, for his, I mean, he was he was the last guy cut from uh, I think the sixty sixty team. Yeah, and then he played in the sixty four and sixty eight. I think the Olympics. So he was he was a quality player, and and a smart player and a smart guy. Did you feel he was on a mission in nineteen eighty? When you were working absolutely. with him, picking the team. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he knew, like I sat down with him in May, he'd, he'd planned everything. And he knew what kind of person he wanted because he was going to push them hard, really hard. 
And he needed guys that were going to be able to put up with it. And he picked us. To, we, we, left, we left some really talented players on the table uh, because we had a sports festival out in Colorado Springs in July to, to pick six, 30 guys to, to train for the, for the next seven months to get ready for the Olympics. And he knew how hard he was going to push him at that time. So he picked guys that he, he knew would be able to put up with what he was trying to accomplish. And he taught them so much about hockey, more than I ever knew in that seven months about the game of hockey. So many different systems. He could change, he, we could change systems in the middle of a period. Everybody knew what they were doing. It was, it was that kind of thing. And, and, and we were the best conditioned team on the planet. I don't care what sport you were talking about back then. We were the best conditioned team on the planet. Was Herb looking for character guys? He wasn't looking for the best player. He was looking for guys who mentally were going to have to handle seven months of basically hell. Really, it was, you know, when you talk to guys from that team, they got put through a lot. Was he, did he interview like, you know, guys, coaches, you know, and say, hey, what was this kind of a player was he? Or was he studying guys leading up to this, like knowing, knowing that he wants this guy for this and this, that, and everything like that? Yes, definitely. He, he knew in May when I talked to him who he was going to have on his team. And he, he put together a, uh, a committee of top college coaches to help him select the team at the sports festival in July. And I sat in all the meetings. And Herb's, Herb's major in college was psychology. So I sat in these meetings, and I just watched as he manipulated all those coaches into picking the guys he wanted. It was just it was <laughs> amazing. It was amazing he, how he handled them. As the pre-Olympic tour started, did you see things gelling differently and knowing that this was leading to something bigger as you guys were going you know, in September, October, November, as you were moving along? Did you, did you start to notice certain things and guys are dropping off? You know, he's cutting guys. He's, he's, you know, he's bringing other guys in to see what they're going to do. Um, did you notice, though, that he was building a core of guys that were you know, going to be able to do what they needed to do to win? Absolutely. Yeah, he, 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 uh, he, he's stressed the game, the learning of the game, and also the conditioning so, so much. And he, he needed people that were going to be able to do what he wanted them to do. And he, he was truly brilliant, truly brilliant in how he did everything that year. And it was so well planned out. Because today they talk about team building, team concepts, you know, throughout sports. Do you think Herb was that far ahead of the curve in 1980 to build – you know, team building, team concepts. Yes, definitely. We're, we're the most prepared team for those in the Olympics. And the Russians are great, obviously. But Herb had, he, we were prepared better than anybody I could ever imagine. It's, a, it's the best coaching job I've ever seen in my life. And I've, Scotty Bowman's been my coach. I've, yep. And I've hired him to coach. I've hired Herb to coach. Um, and I had Bob Johnson. We, we've had some good coaches around me uh, and her was brilliant that year when it came to leadership on the team this is always fascinating why was michael ruzioni the right guy to be the captain and lead that team in 1980 what were the things that herb saw in him and other guys in the team saw in him that made him the captain yeah i can only i can't speak for herb i don't know what he he was he he, he did say he did say I'm going to let the team vote on a captain, but I'm going to count the votes. 
But, I mean, Mike was, he, he threatened Mike that he was going to cut him. And my, my sense of it was that he, he pushed Mike harder than the others. And Mike was the type of guy that could, he, he could get in any group and fit in well. I don't care what group you had anywhere. You, you get Mike in a group, he, he's going to fit in. And he's going to be, you know, one of the local guys. Okay. This is something I actually went to as a kid, the game at Madison Square Garden against the Soviets when you lost 10 to 3. Um, what was the mood like after losing to them? Did you think, oh, God, everything just blew up on us? You know, with this, we're going to face these guys at some point now in Lake Placid, but, oh, my God, look what just happened to us. We lost 10 to 3. Um, was there concern on, on guys for that game or was it just like, you know, it's just a throwaway game or it's a game, it's a good lesson in life. Hey, don't, don't sleep on the Soviets. Well, it's interesting. We played a bunch of Russian teams. We never played that team until that game. Um, we, we watched for the first period and a half. We literally watched because they hadn't played them. And we, we weren't skating. We weren't doing anything. We were just watching. And, uh, we were down seven nothing halfway through the game. And the second half was three. Second half was three three because we started to play. Like we started to not not the way we could, but we played better. I mean, we started to play. We could skate. We could skate with them. We're showing. We could skate with them. And uh, I, I think we might have been disappointed at the outcome, but I don't. Nobody was disappointed in in how we how we were able to stay with them at the end of the game. And uh, her her focus on that a lot. Did he talk to him afterwards and say, look, guys, you know, you, you did time 3-3. You know, there are good positives that come out of this, and, and let's just keep moving forward now. We got the Olympics right around the corner. We're headed to Lake Placid. Right, yeah. It's, yeah, he, he, he stressed that for sure. Just, it's, it's in the rearview mirror now. Let's go. Okay, so now you guys are now going to face them to get to the gold medal game. Mm -hmm. What was that mood, let's say – 24 hours out was, was, was the game, the 10, three game brought up at all, or was it like that happened before? We're not going to talk about it. You know, let's talk about what we have to do tonight against this team. What was the, what were the players like? Were they concerned? Or were they just kind of like, okay, another game, let's take it to them and see what we can do. Yeah, it was, it was like that. We, we, we gained some momentum in the early parts of the Olympics. I mean, we, we won, well, except for Sweden, we won every game in the third period. We were in better shape than everybody. And the Swedish game, we tied late in the third period. Uh, but the, we, to play the Czechs, I think we beat them 7-3. I mean, you don't beat yeah. the Czechs 7-3. You just don't do that. We, we were gaining momentum and feeling good about ourselves, better than when we went to Madison Square Garden by far. And we believed. We, we knew we could skate with them. And it was just a matter of how the game played out. When Mark Johnson scores that late goal against Trediac and they pull him, did you guys see a window of opportunity to say, hey, you just sent the best goalie in the world to the bench. Now's the time to step it up, guys, in the second and third periods. Well, Herb's, Herb's emphasis on that was don't change a thing. Forget who's in the net. It doesn't matter. Just don't change a thing. Keep playing our game. That's, that's all he stressed up that. And for the rest of the game, especially when we got up four to three, he's pump, pump, going back and forth behind the bench. Don't change anything. 
keep playing your game. Don't change anything. Keep playing your game. You're just ranting that, that up and down the bench. One of the things I found interesting was he had the team doctor tracking guys on ice time. Mm-hmm. And it was only 40 second shifts. And now you guys, you're in great physical shape. You guys, you're, third, you're a third period team. How do you think that helped conserving energy for those guys for that third period? Well, it, this goes back seven months because Herb had a guy, Jack Blatherwick, who was our physi- physiologist. And every drill, he, he um, drew up every one of Herb's drills so that every drill that we had was based on a 40, 45 second. All out 45 seconds. All out 45 seconds. Rest a minute and a half. Back out 45 seconds. And just you give 100% for 45 seconds. For seven months, we did that. On or off the ice. Anything that was, any drill we ever had was go as hard as you can for 45 seconds. For seven months. And we knew we could do that. And that's why he had... The doc had him off 45 seconds, you're off. And uh, that was that was part of his plan from day one. Now, you guys win that game four to three. And in today's world, that would be all over the Internet within 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it would right. be all over Facebook, all over social media. But back then, you guys are in a little town in North, you know, in North New York in Lake Placid. Did you realize that the impact of what had just happened? Did you realize that, oh my God, we just upset the Soviets and you know now people are going to take notice that you know hockey in the United States has talented guys and they can win. They can beat the big red machines. Yeah. Um, we, we were so disconnected from the rest of the world. We were, we were actually not in the Olympic Village. We we're at the side of the Olympic Village in trailers, four people to a trailer, no TVs, no anything, just go and sleep, go to get a meal, come back and sleep, go get a meal, go and play, go practice, back to the trailers. So that, that's, that was our life for that, for those Olympics. We had no idea what was going on around the world. We, I, ha, I should have had some inclination because as we started gaining momentum, beating teams, we are getting back then the Western Union. Those, remember those yellow yes. sheets, Western Union <laughs> telegrams? Yes. It was my job to pay, tape them on the outside of our locker room wall in the hallway. So I should have had some idea that was we're getting traction, but I had no idea, really. None of us did. You were the goal between for the players and Herb, um, you know, with that team. You know, Herb didn't want to, as you said, he wanted to create like an enemy in him. He wanted people not to. How, how hard was that for you to be that go-between at times? You know, it was, was Herb. It wasn't hard at all. Was I mean I had her support. Whatever I did, I had his support, and it was my job to keep the pieces together. And and it was quite easy with these guys. They, I mean, it started out a little rough, but they had they came to me for, with every little problem because they had to. They had nowhere else to go. Because I mean, Herb always said it. My door's open, but nobody wants to walk in that door. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, what do you think the victory did for hockey in the United States? How, how much did that change the culture of, of hockey and people taking notice? Up until then, you know, hockey was played at mainly like private skating clubs. And if you had a lot of money, you played. But, and and, and the, the availability of ice time was not very big. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it was like 
I mentioned earlier, 1960 really got me excited about hockey, more, more excited than I was. Um, I'm sure it was a lot, there were a lot more players playing in 80 than there were in 60. So I'm sure it had a huger magnet, a bigger magnitude of impact on, on uh, the new generation, that generation coming up. And I, you've talked to, I've talked to players that were young kids that have now played in the NHL and been stars in the NHL. And they say, we got excited. We, we decided we're going to be players when you guys won the gold medal. So I'm, I've heard it in thousands of times. So you win that gold medal and, you know, it changes the culture. It's awesome. It's exciting. You know, hockey. Oh God, that's an awesome picture. Oh, I love that. Oh, <laughs> never gets, I'll tell you this, Craig, it never gets old to look at that gold medal. Never. Yeah, it's a great medal. <clears throat> It really, it's all gold. It's, it's so, it's just, but the, the history behind that's awesome. That just, that's such a cool thing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. So you go to work for the New York Rangers, you know, where your dad and grandfather was after that. Um, pressure, was there pressure on you to succeed now coming off the Olympics and, and your family history to come to the Rangers? Were they thinking, you know, hey, we haven't won the Stanley Cup since 1940. Here it is. It's 40 something years later. What can you do for us? Yeah, well, I was, I got there when I was 33 and I, I, they hired me as, um, I think, director of hockey operations. Um, and Freddie Shiro was the coach and general manager, but Freddie didn't really want to do the general manager thing. So they said, here, you do them. And uh, I really enjoyed it because I grew up, that's, I mean, even as a player, I'd sit in the locker room and listen to players and go, hmm, that's a kind of funny attitude. And I'm thinking like a general manager already. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it was just, it was, it was kind of second nature. And, you know, I had to learn some things about how to really operate uh, rule wise in the league. But um, I had a good, I had a good sense about the game and uh, I was confident enough to step in there. I, I didn't feel pressure. I mean, I, I'm not, I was her best. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Finish, finish your thought. I'm sorry about that. What are you, you going to say? I was just going to say um, the media got on me at times because I think I, I forget what they actually called me, but they had a nickname for me, Vague Craig. <laughs> but was, that was my nickname. But oh. I, I just I wasn't that. What's the word they use today? Um, to be open. Tell, yeah, what's the, tell everything. What's the, be a tell-all. Yeah, like an open book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you bring Herb in to coach the team. Um, how is that situation different for him, different for you? Um, you're now dealing with professionals. These are guys who make their living playing a sport. Um, did people expect the magic to happen again with you and Herb there? I hope they did. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I, I hope that they did. I mean, I, I, I'm going to tell a story out of school, I guess. But um, when I when when they let Freddie go, they came to me and said, "Okay, now what are you going to do?" And I went, "Well, I'll, I'll go get Herb." But Herb was coaching in Davos, Switzerland, and he couldn't yep. come. So then they said, "Why well, now? What are you going to do?" And I said, "Well, I'll coach," because I didn't want to get somebody else and then bring Herb in in the, in the summer. So I said, I'll do, "I'll do it." And we we had it. We went on a pretty good run. We actually uh, back then the top 16 teams make it like they make the playoffs like they do now, but 16 played one, 15 played two, 
And but and we ended up 14th. So we played uh, number three, St. Louis or um, Los Angeles, with Marcel Dion and the Crown Line and all that. And they, they finished third overall. We finished 14th overall. And we made the playoffs the last weekend of the season because we weren't in. The, we were weren't doing well early in the season, but we we gained some momentum during the year. And then we played. We beat them in a short series. Then we beat number two, St. Louis. Then we played the Islanders and lost. But but uh, my bosses wanted me to continue coaching. They didn't. They didn't want me to bring Herb in. And this went on for a couple of months. They said, "Well, at one point, this we're going to get somebody else to be the GM, and you're going to coach." And I, I, I just said, "Look, Herb's a way better coach than me. Let's just bring him in." And one of the one of my upper one of the bosses said, well, "Let Craig do it. It's his team. Let him do what he wants." So that's how Herbie got got to come. But he came in and he, he did a great job. What are the pressures of being a GM in the NHL? Like, how tough is it? What are the things people don't understand you guys go through on a daily basis that you face? Well, the funniest thing for me is uh, it gets to be summertime and people say, well, what are you, what are you doing in summer? I say, oh, now I only work five days a week instead of seven, so it's great. <laughs> Um, it doesn't work out in New York, unfortunately, but you wind up in Pittsburgh and you're able to win the Stanley Cup there with the right players. You had Mario. I mean, the list goes on and on when you look at that team. Um, and you had Bob Johnson as your head coach. And then unfortunately, um, Bob dies after he wins the Stanley Cup. And it's a very emotional thing to go through to lose a coach who was so successful in the college ranks and the pro ranks. Um did you think to yourself, oh, you know, this is a, fr a fragile team now, you know, that these guys are, you know, they're professionals, but they're also humans. And they really, they liked, you know, as they call it, Badger Bob, they liked him and he was a great yeah. guy. And yeah. were you concerned that they couldn't repeat or were you concerned that this would might, the cracks might be there to, to have the team not repeat? Well, um, well, you're always worried about, I mean, you want to win every year. So you're worried about it. But we had, we had, uh, Scotty stepped in as the interim coach when, when Bob passed and then coached the, the following year as well. Um, so we were, I, I felt we were in good hands uh, coaching-wise. Um, the players didn't enjoy Scotty as much as they did Bob. They, 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 became the, they, they really became close with Bob. I mean, at first they were like, who's this guy? Like, why is he so positive all the time? <laughs> but eventually, eventually, they started to and like that to buy in. Yeah, buy into it. Like, and he was—he Bob was great, and Scotty was different. So it was another adjustment there. But Scotty was Scotty's a great bench coach, so he—he was—he was, he was very helpful in that transition there. Now, you guys, you win cups back to back there. And, you know, you know, dad was probably excited for you. Family was excited for you. You've won your cups now. You've won a gold medal. Um, did you sit back and say to yourself, wow, I've really accomplished a lot now. Like, now I'm really on top of the world. Or you're kind of like, uh-oh, now the pressure's really on me. i got to keep doing this. No, I had, I had my own goals. I haven't reached them yet. But, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Still working on it. I like that. But my, I, actually, my, my dad passed away right before the, uh, the Olympics in 1980. So he wasn't around for any of that. But um, it was, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm proud of the things I've achieved, but again, I haven't 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 reached my goals yet. Well, that's good to know. It's good to know. I still have a long way to go. Then good. We're talking with Craig Patrick here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach. Stay tuned for segment three.